Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. And welcome to episode 98 of the podcast. I know there'll be a number of people listening who are not blind to this particular podcast because we're going to be talking about something that is a pretty hot topic in the technology industry right now. And that is the curtailing of some of the functions of third-party Twitter apps on August 16th. To the best of our knowledge, that's when Twitter intends to turn off some functions that will mean that third-party Twitter apps for all platforms will lose some functionality. We're going to be speaking with Jed Mayhew. He's a co-founder of Icon Factory, the company that makes Twitterific. Not only is it a popular mainstream third-party Twitter client, but they've also gone to great lengths to ensure that there are some very cool voiceover accessibility functions built into their app for both iOS and Mac. Their commitment to accessibility is exemplary. And it's a bit of a difficult time for the Icon Factory right now because through no fault of their own, their app is becoming less functional. And there's a lot of user anxiety about precisely what all this means in terms of the immediate impact on you as a user of Twitterific and other third-party Twitter apps and also what the future might hold for third-party apps overall. Spoiler alert, the future is not bright at all, but we'll hear from Jed in just a minute. We have a number of listener comments that I'm going to hold over until next week, because until we had the opportunity to speak with Jed, we were going to be focusing on this question of guide dog ownership, and I had a couple of interviews lined up to do with the question of whether it's important that you own your dog, whether there are downsides of owning your dog whether it's appropriate for guide dog schools to have the right to take your dog away from you. So we'll come back and we'll look at this next week. Also, thank you to those who've sent contributions on our home automation special, and that will be coming up in a few episodes' time as well. Before I talk with Jed, I do want to tell you about an initiative that has been launched by Ira. They're forming a charitable foundation called the Do More Foundation, And the idea is that they will raise funds for people who may not be able to afford IRA. And the first initiative that they're undertaking is support for IRA's back to school campaign so that they can expand the number of students who have IRA. You may have been able to tune in last week on IRA's own IRA Live service or Facebook Live and hear the launch of IRA's back to school effort that took place in Dallas, Texas. If you did hear that, you would have heard firsthand from a couple of students who have used IRA to really make a difference in their education. And I liken this to the way that many of us felt in the 80s, if you're as old as I am, when we got talking computers. And of course, the previous generation of students did just fine without talking computers at university. But boy, did it make things a lot easier. And I think IRA is the same kind of thing. It really gladdens my heart to think that we might be able to make a difference and help the current generation of students be as efficient and productive and functional as possible with sighted assistance on demand. So to be clear, this is a program that is benefiting students in the United States right now. And I've set up a page as part of the peer-to-peer fundraising process that the IRA Foundation has embarked upon for this. And I'm encouraging you to give if you have a little bit to give. It is an amazing thing to think that we can have such an impact on the next generation of students. I've set a goal of raising $1,000, and I know that we can do this if all of us in the Mosin Consulting Blindside community just give a little bit. If you think you can spare some money to help students and give them the benefit of IRA, what a really cool thing to do. If you would like to, then I will provide a link to the page that you click through to in the show notes. If for some reason you don't have access to the show notes, you can go to the Mosin Consulting blog 
I have posted a blog post there explaining why Bonnie and I are happy to support this initiative. And in that blog post, there is also a link to my peer-to-peer fundraising page where you can donate with any major credit card. So you really will make a difference. And congratulations to Ira for setting up this initiative. I hope that we can get Ira in the hands of more students on campus. First America, maybe one day the world. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on The Blind Side. Ask blind people which is their favourite social network and many will tell you Twitter. Although people now post images to Twitter, most of which aren't accessible, Twitter's popularity persists in the blind community because of its humble text-based beginnings around the SMS and because of the ecosystem of accessible third-party apps made possible through Twitter's application programming interfaces, or APIs for short. The API has made blindness-specific Twitter apps possible, several of which exist for Windows, as well as mainstream apps that offer an accessible user experience, thanks to an ongoing commitment to accessibility on the part of the software's developers. But unless Twitter has a last-minute change of heart, those third-party Twitter apps are going to be less capable as early as Thursday, August the 16th. One of the most used and respected third-party Twitter apps, whether you're blind or not, is Twitterific. It's developed by the Icon Factory, and its co-founder, Jed Mayhew, joins me now. Jed, welcome to The Blind Side. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me so much. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. The first thing I want to do before we get started with this is say thank you, and I know our listeners would want me to do that because you guys have just pulled out all the stops on accessibility, and it's wonderful to see when a mainstream developer does this. So thanks for all you've done in that space. It's amazing. No, we appreciate that. It's, it, it's really gratifying to hear that. So really, thank you. Well, for most of our listeners, Twitterific is the only association with the Icon Factory that they'd at least be conscious of, but the company long predates Twitter, right? It's got about a 20-year history. Yeah, we did. We recently celebrated our 20th year. We started in 1996, actually, um, but we incorporated in 2000. So <clears throat> we've been around for quite a while and in the software space and on the iPhone as long as it's been there, which is pretty cool. What did you do before the iPhone came along then? We um, we started as a uh, primarily as an icon design and graphics design company doing um, icons for CD-ROMs for kids. Um, we got jobs as multimedia designers at a little firm in Greensboro, North Carolina in the United States um, doing educational software. And uh, making icons was part of our job, our description for that. And uh, over time, we did more and more icons. And then eventually, the company that we were working for got bought and then by MCI at the time and then they went out of business and uh, we did some other stuff and then in the meantime we started doing icon design on the side as freelance work and that grew we did more and more freelance projects for icon stuff we did uh, app icons for Microsoft uh, Outlook Express we did them for Keychain for Apple um, eventually did them for Windows uh, 95, X, Windows XP, and Windows Vista. Um, and we did, uh, we started designing software to collect uh, icons on the desktop, on the Mac desktop, so that people could, you know, organize them and customize them and all of that. That's how our software side got kicked off, designing software for ourselves and our our fans who like to collect icons. Uh, and then when the iPhone came, everything changed. It just, it took off from there. And Twitter was born around 
right before the 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 iPhone around the same time, and uh, it was a confluence of things, really. And uh, we've been going strong ever since. Yeah, so you have a pretty impressive client list there. How much of the original team is still with you after 20 years? Um, the original founders are, all five of us are still here. That's amazing, uh, isn't it? Because there's there's often a lot of, um, you know, acrimony in the tech industry or people get a better gig or whatever. So for that group yeah. of you to stay that long is is very rare. It is rare. And, I'm, you know, I'm always gratified with that. We, we always love what we've done and we love working together. And um, we've had a, the privilege of working with some really talented people over the years. And I think that's part of the reason why. So um, we're fortunate in that respect. Tell me about the story of Twitterific. How did it come to be that you decided to invest developer resources in developing a Twitter app of all things? It's really the brainchild of uh, Craig Hockenberry. He's our senior developer. And um, we started using the Twitter social network, you know, around the time when it was, had just come out in 2007. Um, and then in the fall of 2007, there, there was a South by Southwest, I think, or around December, I can't remember the exact date, but it was sometime in 2007, South by Southwest came about. And uh, Craig actually developed, he had a brainstorm for Twitter for a desktop client to read the Twitter stream instead of having to go to the website, you know, because up back then you, if you wanted to read or post tweets, you had to go to twitter.com and uh, they weren't even called tweets back then. They were called posts or updates, you know, and uh, Craig came up with this idea of like, what if we didn't have to go to the Twitter website? What if we had a Mac desktop app that did it for you? And uh, he, he coded up a really rough uh, Mac app, that would load your Twitter feed into the app and let you see it and interact with it. And it was really popular. And then South by Southwest came along and it had kind of exploded after that. A lot of people discovered it and used it. Uh, and then not long after that, the iPhone was announced. And uh, as soon as that was the case, people started break, you know, breaking into it, jailbreaking it. And, uh, Craig experimented with getting Twitterific on the iPhone. This was even before the App Store. There was no such thing as third-party apps at that time. Um, you had to hack into the phone to do that. And he did it. He got it running. And it was just as awesome as we thought it was going to be to have Twitter on your in your pocket, you know, wherever you went, which was pretty darn cool. And then shortly after that, you know, in 2008, I believe April, the App Store was born. And Twitterific was the first third-party Twitter app on the App Store. I think there was one other, or maybe two others, but those those other ones that were there at the store are no longer in existence. Twitterfic is, is the first and still, you know, existing one from back then. I'm If you'd asked me, you know, 10 years ago, if this would be the case, if we'd still be supporting Twitterfic and, and loving it and, you know, people would still be using it, I would never have said yes. Right. I just... Never would have expected that. <laughs> You're bringing back all sorts of memories for me, of course. In the early days, the prompt was, what are you doing, right? That was what right. they said. What are you doing on Twitter? Right, exactly. And and people used to criticize Twitter for being, well, you know, who who really cares about what people had for breakfast? And you know, it's right. evolved. And that's the interesting thing about Twitter, really, is that it has evolved the way the users have wanted it to evolve, at least up until a certain point. It was actually end users that invented the concept of mentions and the name yeah. tweets and the concept of retweets. All those things came from the grassroots. Yeah. Craig actually 
contributed i mean the the origin of the word tweet is you know is because of twitterific and craig so he has a post on his blog about that it's fascinating there's a long detailed oral history of how that came to be and it's it's really weird and cool to be able to say that we contributed to that and to some of the other key twitter features like mentions and lists um and things like that people don't know that you know they don't have that much those that long of a memory right and i make that point in the context of what we're going to be talking about in the main which is these api changes because it really represents a breach of the covenant if you will this grassroots movement that twitter once was did twitterific get there ahead of the official Twitter iOS app, it did, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Twitterific was the first. Yes, I third, think so. The first, first Twitter app on the App Store. Yep. Did they ever consider just buying you out, buying the app? Uh, we've never been offered, so I, I doubt it. I don't know. I mean, they once they bought Tweety, um, Lauren Britcher's app. You know, they never kind of looked back. I don't think they looked at another third-party app but they did buy TweetDeck. i think they did they didn't uh co-tweet deck themselves i think they acquired tweet deck if i remember correctly um but no they've never made an offer for terrific twitterific's voiceover accessibility has evolved um and it's substantially improved over time were you aware of voiceover when twitterific was first developed for ios or did it just happen to be um, fairly accessible and then you saw a market there we didn't uh, intentionally when we first developed it. You no, know, accessibility wasn't one of the fir- you know the forefront of of our goals with it. Um, at the time, you know, it was a new platform, and we we're just trying to explore it and and make the app as robust as possible. It happened that the app was pretty accessible, you know, and I think it, it's to Apple's credit that the entire OS, you know, is designed in that way so that it's structured that it's very accessible. And if you design your app correctly, you know, you take your time to do that, then you get a lot of that stuff for free. And uh, I think Twitterfic was able to take a, a lot of advantage of that. Over the years, as the app has developed, you know, and as we've become attuned and, you know, aware of the accessibility community and how the app is you know, needed and used every day by the blind community, then, you know, we've made a conscious effort, you know, for many years to try to make it as as accessible and easy and frictionless to use as possible. It's one of the things that is most gratifying and most satisfying about developing apps, actually, when you get an email from someone saying, you know, if it wasn't for you and your company, I wouldn't be using Twitter. You know, that kind of stuff is just, it's mind-blowing, and uh, it makes everything, all the pain and suffering that kind of Twitter puts you through and uh, all that other stuff, it makes it totally worth it. Yeah, I never thought that we'd get to a point where using a Twitter client on iOS would be just as efficient, and sometimes even more so, than using it on a desktop platform. But you've definitely achieved that, and that's to your significant credit. I'm curious about this from a business standpoint. Do you see the blind community as a viable market worth serving in a commercial sense, or is this more of a, a work of public good, the, the work that you're putting into accessibility? It's hard to say from a, a monetary point of view, you know, how much being accessible affects the bottom line. But in the end, that doesn't really matter. It, I mean, it doesn't matter to me, and it doesn't matter to the other partners in the company. You know, it's one of those things where it's just like, you have a moral obligation to do it. 
it, it, it is its own PR. It's its own goodwill. You know, it's word spreads about it and, you know, people let other people know about the app and then, you know, it builds on that and it grows and it becomes its own thing. So it has its own benefits in, in of itself. Um, I won't say that there's, it's, it's just for the sake of doing it. You know, that's not the case. Sure. There are good business reasons for making your app accessible. Um, but that's not the primary reason why we did it. You know, we do it and we continue to do it because we're proud of the app and we want to make it as, as good as it can be for the widest possible audience. And, you know, that means including great accessibility into the app. And uh, I think that's really important. Yes, you remind me of that famous shareholders meeting where Tim Cook actually got up and castigated a uh, shareholder who was questioning all the uh, the resources that were being put into things like voiceover. And he said, we, we don't measure everything we do based on the bloody return on investment, which I thought was a great response. All right, so I want to talk with you about these Twitter API changes, and I want to set a bit of a sort of a background to this if I can. I've read various stories over the years, and I read a lot of the tech press, where it's been suggested that Twitter doesn't really want its APIs to be used for fully blown alternative consumer experiences. Until these recent changes, how would you describe Twitter's attitude towards apps like yours? Well, in the beginning, I mean, it was wholly embraced. You know, I mean, Twitter fostered the, the development of these APIs that allowed third-party third party apps like ours to read their into their system and interact with it and, you know, grow off of it. You know, I, I would be lying if I said part of the success of the Icon Factory in general is, wasn't built on the back of Twitter. It was. You know, because they gave us access to these APIs, we were able to develop a hugely successful piece of software based around their social network. That's not an insignificant thing. That's that's a that's a big deal, you know. And so over time, when their goals started to change, and you know, Dick Costco took over Twitter, and their alignment of what they they wanted to accomplish with Twitter and what the shareholders wanted, and the continuing continual growing of eyeballs to the service, and the proliferation of spam and trolls and you know bots you know and all of these things i mean it's it's a truism that all things change you know there's no way that twitter can be the same service it is now in 2018 as it was in 2007 it's just not possible um and so twitter like all companies like all individuals has to adapt has to change and grow and you know there's a total shifting of priorities and i get that you know, we all get that. Um, there's a difference between, you know, actively not supporting something and actively discouraging something. And I think that, that Twitter went through a period a few years back where they were discouraging third-party apps from developing anything. You know, they imposed token limits on third-party apps like ours where you can only have a finite number of users using your app. Um, and that was clearly so that new developers wouldn't come in and say, I'm going to build a new Twitter app. Well, that's great, but you can only have 100,000 users. You know, if I was a de developer coming in with a, a limit like that, I would be like, nope, we're not doing it. 
It's just, I can only sell X number of copies <laughs> of the app, or, you know, I can only have X number of users looking at an ad and that just doesn't pay the bills. So we got out of that phase and then Twitter, you know, has moved into more of a, we're not trying to kill you phase, but we, our service needs to change to take care of trolls and this abuse of the service. You know, a lot of companies developed apps or, or websites or bots that use their service in a bad way to post bad things over and over again. And they've, you know, they're really nowadays, they're really keen to that and they want to stop that from happening. And I don't blame them. I want that to stop happening too. But there's a difference between an app that quote unquote posts spam to Twitter thousands of tweets per per hour, you know, and a third-party Twitter app like Terrific, where people just use it to read and post tweets. So there's a fine line there, and, and I think Twitter's kind of, either they've lost sight of it or they just don't care anymore about that. Since you mentioned numbers, are you willing to tell me how many people you think are using Twitterific? Um, I can't give you an exact number, but, it, I mean, it's in the hundreds of thousands. Hmm. And I may be looking at this through rose-tinted glasses or something, but it seems to me that the Twitterific users, those who are using any of these third-party apps that offer a more traditional, chronological experience with some power features, I would have thought they are the users that Twitter would be wanting to keep engaged with the platform because generally the quality of what they're contributing is consistent, it's not automated, and it's reasonable. You'd think that, and I would, I would agree with that. Um, but there's nothing in what they've said or done in the last few years that would go to prove that. I think it's more along the lines of they want more people engaged, not whether they're you know quality users or not. I can't say. Twitter has gone from a service where friends communicated with each other to something where you log in and check the news, or you check today's events, or you keep up with your the most popular celebrities, you know, it's used less and less for a quote unquote social network. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why these things are happening. And yet that's what's causing people to gravitate to, to Twitterific uh, who like the experience the way it was. They don't want an algorithm to mess with their timeline. They want to be able to pop in and see chronologically what's happening. So right. in, in essence, it's, it's kind of earned a place for Twitterific, uh, the more of these changes that come about. That's like, that can be said of any third-party app, you know. We display tweets in the order that they appear chronologically. We don't put other people's likes in their timeline. We don't show promoted tweets. There's all these things that Twitter has added over the years that we don't have, partly because they just, they don't provide that in the APIs. Um, but, I mean, that's one of the appeals of third-party apps like Twitterific. It's the bare bones Twitter. It's the it's the good stuff. It's all the the signal and not the noise. Is that a potential area of compromise that might have been explored though? Because clearly, if you're not showing promoted tweets, then uh, that is a a revenue problem for Twitter because they're selling these on the basis that they can expose those tweets to a wide range of followers. Yeah, I would say so. And we were perfectly willing to display promoted tweets, you know, if they had given us an API for it or included the promoted tweets in the streams, but they never did. Why? Probably because third-party apps account for such a tiny fraction 
of the overall Twitter audience, you know, the people that use Twitter. So why bother going through the hassle of doing that work so that third-party apps can show promoted tweets when it's just like 0.01% of all people who use Twitter? So just in terms of how we got here, when did you first become aware that Twitter was intending to deprecate some API functions that third-party apps like yours depend on? Uh, I think it was it was last year sometime. Um, they give a lot of advance notice of it. And, uh, well, of course, at the, at the time, we weren't sure what this all meant, and we were hoping they would change their mind. And, you know, we had several communications with them we posted in their forums um and eventually we had a conference call with them and you know tried to tell them what was going on we posted our that website appsofafeather.com you know to try to state the case for twitterific users to let them know what twitter was about to do you know in seven days from now something like that <laughs> um this was months ago that we did this you know and when we first posted that website of course it was picked up by everybody and got a lot of PR and Twitter felt the heat from it and they backtracked slightly and they pushed the date back because the original deprecation date was supposed to be in July of some time, I think, or June. And they moved it back to August because of that. Um, they didn't, you know, change their mind completely. It's still happening. They just gave us extra time to try and adapt. Great name, by the way, for that coalition. And it was good to see third-party Twitter developers getting together and um, promoting what was going on. But what happened then? I mean, I presume that once the Apps of a Feather Coalition got that extension, you would have been hoping that uh, you and the uh, Twitter people would get around the table and hopefully come up with a way to preserve as much of the existing functionality as possible. Did, did that not happen? Did talks break down? What happened then? No, they didn't break down. I mean, we had a frank and honest discussion with them, you know, and they, to be honest, you know, they're, they're, they provided a way for third-party apps like ours to still have these features. You can, you know, if we wanted to and we're willing to pay the price for it, we could access live streaming and push notifications for Twitterific, but the cost is so high for a small developer like ourselves that it just is, it might as well be, you know, the moon. It's the, the cost is just prohibitively high. We'd have to charge individual users something on the order of like $18 for a subscription per year, per user, in order to cover the costs of those enterprise APIs. And so, you know, given that, and given the fact that, you know, this was the course that Twitter had and they weren't going to change course, we decided that we had no choice but to pull these features from the app. Um, will the app still function? Absolutely. Twitterific isn't going anywhere. You can still read Twitter. You can still post to Twitter. You get still all the best parts of Twitterific, you know, the chronological timeline, all of these other things. What you do not get is live tweets. You can't just have your device up or your Mac up and have tweets stream in in live succession, you know. Most of the time, that's not a big deal because you know, when you're out and about, you open, you launch your Twitter app and you check tweets and new tweets come in, you read them, and then you're done. You don't sit there and actually you know, watch the screen scroll by as new tweets come in, except maybe during a live sporting event or a news event, something like that, where it's very important to see what's happening live. Um, so that one's not a, a huge deal. 
for us. The other one is more important, which is push notifications. Twitter is deprecating the API that allows third-party apps to notify users when one of their tweets is liked or retweeted, or even when you receive a direct message. You can't you can't get a push notification that you've just received a DM, um, and that is more annoying. There's ways around that, and we've posted on our website. You know what we hope people will do is you know activate the push notifications on the official client get your pushes for your likes and your retweets and all of that through the official client and still use Twitterific for everything else. Use Twitterific for posting, reading, blah, blah, blah. But when someone likes one of your tweets, you're going to get a push from the official Twitter client. Um, so it's kind of a, a janky way to do it, but it's, it's possible. I see that some other third-party Twitter apps are suggesting that they may be able to deliver push notifications within maybe a couple of minutes delay. Is that something that you also explored? Um, we haven't given up on that, and that may be a possibility. Um, it's a lot of work <laughs> to do that. Basically, we have to pull your timeline after the tweets come in and are loaded onto the device and then construct the database based on that, notify you, and so on. Um, we haven't decided whether that's worth the, the amount of cost involved in order to do that. We haven't said no. But we haven't said yes to it either. We want to see how people are going to get along without push initially first. Right. And I noticed that you've really done the ethical thing. And when it was clear that this is the trajectory that everybody's on, you have pulled push notifications for new users, for existing users who have them. They will last as long as they're able to last. But you're not selling a feature that you know um, is not going to be available soon. We had to do that. I mean, there was no choice. You know, it's not fair to charge people for a feature that's going to be removed in just a couple months. You know, so we tried to get that update out in the, in the app store as soon as possible to turn off push notifications. A lot of people will still complain. A lot of people will say we ripped them off, but there's nothing else we could do. You know, it's just it's out of our hands at that point. Right. It's hardly your fault that the rules of the game got changed on you. Let's look at uh, direct messages because there was some suggestion that third-party apps may not be able to offer DMs to people. Will people, they, they won't be pushed obviously, but can people still go in after these changes and uh, read and respond to direct messages? Yes, they, they definitely can. You can still use direct messages in third-party apps like Twitterific. You just can't receive a, a traditional push from Twitterific. You know, we used to have, prior to this, we had a, a version of the app for your Apple Watch, and you could get a notification on your Apple Watch from Twitterific letting you know you got a DM that you could reply to. You won't be able to do that now. So unless you turn push on for your for the official client, you won't know that you've got that DM unless you actually launch the app and then let the, the tweets load in and the DM load in, and then we you'll see the little dot inside the app saying, hey, you got a DM, you need to reply to it. See, I understand why you had to keep your powder dry while you were talking to Twitter and seeing if you might be able to work something out if they would offer some sort of reasonable discount for your access to the API. But I am surprised that the Apps of a Feather Coalition hasn't tried to run some sort of very public campaign on Twitter to galvanize the public support that clearly does exist out there. It, it's almost like the affected third-party developers have gone all docile, and I, I don't understand why that strategy was adopted. Um, I think it's partly because we're tired of of fighting them, and it's you can only 
like in our conversations with Twitter, we haven't talked to like Jack or, you know, the, the actual, the, the big, big guys at Twitter. We're always talking to the lower level guys. And those people are adamant that this is the way it is. And there's not going to be any changes no matter what we do, you know, and it, at some point you just got to say, okay, we can't spend any more time on this. You know, we have to make a living and we have to devote our energies other in other places. We're fortunate in that we have other software we can concentrate on. Some companies don't. Some, their whole existence is a Twitter app. And so for them, it's a little bit more of a dire situation. And they may choose to fight it more, but I think they see the writing on the wall as well. And eventually, I think it's going to come a point where Twitter is just going to say, they're going to shut off the API for third-party apps. And that's the real risk in continuing to develop and try to push for, you know, these kinds of services from Twitter because of, at some point down the line, it just won't work. And then, you know, how much time and effort and money will you have put into that? And how much will you lose? Um, it's not a question of, of if, but when and how much. You know, so I don't blame developers for kind of cutting their losses and stuff. I mean, like I said, we're not giving up on Twitterific. Twitterific is still in the App Store. It's still working. It will work until it will until it just can't work anymore. I I love the app myself. We all do. We all use it personally every single day. I don't want to use the official client. I hate it myself. Um, so we're going to keep it running as long as we possibly can. But you are anticipating a time when Twitter will just switch it all off. Definitely. No, don't know when that will be. Um, but there will come a time when it will just be not feasible for Twitter to continue using, you know, to support an API that feeds third-party apps. You know, right now, they're not doing anything that would, you know, actively turn it off. But at some point, they're going to make a change or they're going to upgrade something and the one of the consequences of that upgrade is going to be, well, now third-party apps won't be able to get the service anymore. And they just are just going to let that happen. Does that mean that there will not be any or many updates going forward for Twitter Effect? That is, you say, it'll just sort of sit in the app store and work until it doesn't? Hopefully not. And we really... We want to continue updating the app. You know, we have a lot of good ideas about features that we want to improve in the app. Um, we just had an update not too long ago that added a couple of important features. One of them, accessibility-wise, which was the ability to turn off emoji. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah, that was a big one. And, and I'm glad we got that out, update out. You know, we had a lot of people asking for that. And um, I was, I became aware of that too, because I, I bought a, a new car and it uses Apple CarPlay and all, you know, messages and everything in CarPlay are read to you. You can't use the screen while you're driving, which is a good thing, obviously. But I became keenly aware of how, you know, emojis were spoken uh, via CarPlay and Siri while driving. And it was annoying for me. And if it's annoying for me and I'm sighted, it had to be annoying for blind people. Yeah. You know? And so we, we added that in the last update and we've gotten so much good feedback about that one. They're just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am so happy you added that. You know? yes, so we'd yes. like, to, we want to keep doing things like that. We want to keep improving the app in ways that Twitter isn't in their official app, you know, and I'll say as long as the app keeps making money and can sustain itself, then we'll do that. 
the day when the day comes when it can't will be probably the day we stop working on it. All right. What about other social networks that are trying to be alternatives to Twitter? And I don't know a lot about these, but some of the geeks that I follow on Twitter say, just give up on Twitter. You know, it's becoming too commercial. It's lost its way. And there are alternatives out there that are trying to build a kind of a version that was like Twitter in the old days. Would you consider supporting any alternatives like that? Oh, definitely. We And we've thought about that and have had some talks with some of them recently. So I'm not saying no to that at all. Um, there are some people in the Icon Factory who are hesitant to once again pin their hopes on the back of someone else's APIs. It's like, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. You know, they don't want to, they'd rather build something that doesn't rely on other people's services. And I totally get that. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of good, good ones out there. Um, microblog is one of them. Um, Mint and Reese's effort. And we've talked with him and we would like to do a, a client that eventually would support microblog. We're just kind of feeling things out right now and seeing where they're going to go and which one of these services is going to still be around in a few months. Yeah. Um, because mm. so. I'm interested about the use case of, of the way that blind people use Twitter, perhaps compared with the way that others do. And you were making comments about how Twitter was originally a way to kind of hang out with your friends and exchange information. There's still a lot of that going on in the blind community. And I think this is one of the really interesting things about the Internet in general, that if you have something in common like a disability and from all around the world, you can come together and feel a part of that community and exchange ideas and solutions and discuss common problems. That's a very powerful feature of social networking and the internet in general. And I think that that's where some of these alternative microblogging type services may really come into their own for the blind community. Right. I agree with that. You know, and like one of the good things about microblog is, and which I think is a brilliant idea that Manton came up with, which is, you have no concept of following and follower counts. You have no way of knowing how many people are following your posts on microblog. There's no count there like there is on Twitter. So you kind of remove that need or incentive to, you know, always have more and more eyeballs on you. You're, you're doing it for the communication of it. You're doing it for the community of it. You know, you're not doing it to be Kim Kardashian and, and have a 3 billion followers, you know? So there's a lot of good there. There's a lot of good stuff and, and ideas there. And I really hope it succeeds. Well, Jed, you know, I know it must be a pretty demoralizing experience for the, the, you and the team are going through. But again, I just want to end the interview the way we started by saying thanks for all you've done and to reassure people that, uh, well, you're probably going to have to install that uh, first-party Twitter app if you want push. That Twitter yeah. app's not going away and right. most of the features will still work and uh, it's still going to be the great app it's always been. And I really appreciate uh, both the, the time you've given us today and all you've done for the blind community in terms of accessibility. Um, really, again, appreciate that. It, it means more to us than you know to hear that. And um, it really is so heartwarming and gratifying to be able to be a part of that. And uh, we hope to be able to continue that well into the future. That's Jed Mayhew, co-founder of Icon Factory, makers of Twitterific for iOS and Mac. When Twitter announced its API changes, 
The blind side reached out to their PR people and said that we'd love to be able to speak with someone from Twitter about why they're making these changes, but also to talk about accessibility initiatives. While that invitation still stands, we have never had a reply to that request. If you're using one of the blindness-specific or even non-blindness-specific Twitter apps for Windows, it appears that the impact of these Twitter API changes for now is going to be fairly minimal. The streaming API will go away, and that means that you may have to manually refresh more often than not. But of course, you're not getting notifications from these third-party apps, so the deprecation of notifications in the form that they've been used by third-party apps won't affect those Windows apps. As you could clearly hear from Jed, he doesn't expect third-party apps to exist forever in the Twitter ecosystem. So we do need to keep the pressure on Twitter about first-party solutions that are not just accessible, because as we know, accessibility is only one part of this. It's also efficiency that counts as well. And that is where, despite the fact that the website is full of keyboard shortcuts and Twitter have clearly gone to some lengths to ensure accessibility, I would certainly argue that a website is no replacement for the efficiency that you get through a dedicated app that is fully accessible in the same way that some of these blindness-specific Windows clients are, or even something like Tween. It'll be interesting to see if the Icon Factory does end up embracing any microblogging service other than Twitter. And if that occurs, wouldn't it be great if there could be a consensus around that? so that some of the third-party apps for Windows in the blindness space currently supporting Twitter would support the same microblogging service or services as the Icon Factory chooses to embrace. That way, at least for discussion affecting the blind community, we may all be able to migrate to a platform that is embracing of third-party apps and accessible. Before we go, a listener comment from Mike May. I'm holding a lot of listener comments over until next week when we will be talking once again about the guide dog ownership issue. But here's one from Mike May, and he says, Regarding skydiving, I imagine a number of blind guys have done this solo. I did once in 1983. I am pretty sure that Harry Cordellis, the blind marathon runner, has done it, as well as Tom Sullivan. I jumped carrying a radio, and the jump master jumped after me and guided me down, much like skiing. All I had to do was to follow expert instructions. We did have a plan, should the radios not work. I don't think tandem skydiving became popular until this century. The standard approach previously was a static line jump for the first couple times. I did have a lot of trouble finding a jump school that would work with me. Good on you, Mike. Thanks. Good to hear from you and hope things are going well for you in Wichita. And that's it for The Blind Side for this week. We always welcome your comments, of course, knowing that we're going to be talking about guide dog ownership for the whole episode next week. We welcome your thoughts on that. If you have any thoughts on the situation with Twitter, as we've heard from Jed Mayhew, then by all means be in touch. You can do that in a couple of ways. You can send me an email and that email can be written down or you're welcome to attach an audio clip if you prefer. The address is the blind side at mosen.org. That's the blind side all joined together at mosen.org. You can also call the feedback line 719-270-5114. Is that number that's in the United States? 719-270-5114. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosen Consulting. On the web at mosen.org.